Hey there! We're the West Slot Pirates and welcome to the show. We're here to share our thoughts on Northwestern athletics and college sports with thoughts and analysis from the visceral to the statistical. We run our tailgate with the red pirate flag flying high above because we give no quarter, especially the fourth. I'm Sam Walter. Uh, I'm John Lacombe. And I'm Eric Skoskowski. Well guys, we've got an amazing guest coming on with us tonight. Um, Adam Rittenberg from ESPN is going to be joining us here in just a sec. Uh, very excited to have him on uh, talk all things uh, Mike Bajakian. Um, who appears to be the new Northwestern offensive coordinator. Um, at the time we were recording this on Tuesday night, nothing is official yet. Uh, we haven't heard like an official statement from Northwestern, but um, I, I'm sure it's just I's to be dotted and T's to be crossed at this point, right? Yeah. Yeah, hope, hopefully. If, it, that... if it's not, this pod's going to be really funny a couple of weeks from now. <laughs> <laughs> Well, we are extremely excited to be joined tonight by ESPN senior writer Adam Rittenberg. Um, Adam, thanks so much for taking the time to jump on with us tonight. Uh, got a lot to lot to discuss, I think. No doubt, guys. Yeah, I've been a big fan of your podcast and, and just uh, grateful to be on with you to, to talk Northwestern and whatever else you want to discuss tonight. So it's, uh, it's great to be here. Uh, absolutely. Um, Mike Bajakian, I, I, that, that's kind of the, the big uh, question on everyone's mind, I think, and uh, you know, it's interesting, you know, the news was kind of coming out on Friday night and here we are on Tuesday night and there's still no, been no formal announcement. Um, is there anything weird going on there? Or is that just kind of the way things are working? Yeah, I think it's more of an HR thing at Northwestern, you know, with vetting and just final uh, things, process things they have to do. Uh, yeah, I haven't heard any other names emerge. So I think we're, we're, we're just uh, waiting for something official to be confirmed with uh, Bajakian and uh, certainly an interesting choice. Uh, you know, someone that I didn't know had a whole lot of connections to Pat Fitzgerald or to Northwestern, although, you know, Fitz is so well connected in the coaching business. Um, and with Mike having coached both uh, at the college level at several spots and, and in the NFL, you know, I'm sure it wasn't uh, too hard to connect the dots as far as uh, get, getting those two parties together. So Adam, when you were, I mean, you've been, at ESPN for quite a while now, and you're known not just, I, I I would say, I guess probably this is because we've been tracking how far back your time at ESPN goes, but I mean, you're known as college football expert, but definitely like Midwest specific and Northwestern centric, et cetera. At what point, and I don't know if it's back to the Butch Jones era or what, at what point did Bajakian first come across your radar? You know, I'm trying to remember. I, I, I definitely, the, the name crossed my mind, or, or I thought about him back when he was at Central Michigan. I think it was with Dan Lefevre, um, you know, which is way back when. He had a couple of stints at Central Michigan. He was the quarterback's coach, you know, right when I was still in school at Northwestern. And then, um, you know, one of his, uh, one of his first coordinator job was at Central Michigan. Um, uh, I think it was under Butch Jones, uh, in 2007 and 2009. And so um, then he moved on to Cincinnati and then Tennessee with Butch as well. So that, that, that name, you know, was one that started resonating for me a little bit more, you know, when he got to Cincinnati and then certainly it was time at Tennessee, but I, I do, you know, vaguely remember him, you know, just go, going back to the central Michigan days as well. So, so can we quote you? Adam Rittenberg says Hunter Johnson will become Dan Lefevre. That's what you're saying. <laughs> exactly. 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 That would be, uh, that would be very good news for, for Northwestern. You know, it's funny, you know, Dan Lefevre, uh, you know, he was, he, his unbelievable numbers he had at the college level. And then wasn't he with the Bears for a little while? Wasn't he one of those bad pickups, uh, for, <laughs> uh, for, Jerry Angelo, or was it Phil? I think it was like the end of the Jerry Angelo era. He made he made some bad quarterback pickups, and one of them was Dan Lefevre. But he was an awesome college player. Is he on that list of like ninety five Bears quarterbacks versus Aaron Rodgers slash Brett Favre? Probably, yes, yes. <laughs> I think we can certainly put him on that. Yeah, I mean, there, there are some really sad. Uh, I mean, yeah, even now, you know, people kind of complain about Mitch and 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 what's going on now. But it used to be so much worse. I think I covered a game. For when I was at the Daily Herald, where Jonathan Quinn was the Bears quarterback, and it was it was like watching Northwestern this season. It was <laughs> it was that bad as far as quarterback play and offensive ineptitude. Well, that kind of dovetails. I mean, obviously, you know, we've 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 all been it, certainly those of us with Northwestern ties, right? And 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 us on this pod have been deeply mired in Northwestern's misery this season. 
you know, Adam, you're, you're focused nationally. Can you, can you help us like calibrate? Cause we, you know, we, we live and die by this stuff week to week, you know, as, as, as diehard fans, we're not necessarily, you know, looking at Northwestern with, with any sort of object, uh, 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 objective perspective, like how bad was this on a national scale this year? I mean, are, is the, is the, broader perception of Northwestern has, has it changed dramatically? Are people seeing fits in different, in different light? You know, I think, I think this is certainly a, a tough year. Um, and I, I think the, the thing that jumped out to people or the thing that, that made a connection nationally was just how bad they were on offense. You know, I think Northwestern's had you know, losing seasons before they haven't had too many three and nine seasons in recent memory, but it wasn't just that they were losing. It was how they were losing, the inability to score a touchdown, the inability to put forward um, any type of uh, offensive consistency. And, you know, again, you have a lot of us in media, so you tend to hear about Northwestern maybe more than you should um, just because, uh, you know, a lot of us pay attention. I mean, I, I am friends with, obviously, Stu Mandel at The Athletic, and I listen to the podcast he does with, Bruce Feldman, who's another friend, not a Northwestern guy, but um, you know they talked about Mick McCall a lot. Actually, it kind of became a thing on their podcast where you know Bruce would kind of you, know, you could almost he would have these audible eye rolls whenever Stu would bring up Mick McCall. But it, you know Mick was kind of this topic a little bit nationally because you have a lot of us who are working in the national media who are you know obviously following Northwestern, and that was the story: their offense and their quarterback play, and why can't they even score a touchdown? So I think in that, in that sense, it made an, an impact. But I don't think anyone is, is saying, well, Pat Fitzgerald forgot how to coach. You know, the last, you know, really 10 years didn't happen. I, I don't think anything like that. But I, I always, and I'm curious, your guys' perspective, because of the history of the program before 1995, um, when they have a bad season, does it, does it resonate more? Does it make it harder for them to, to, to completely rid themselves of that pre-95 perception, because that's something that I think is still real for, you know, a lot of people, a lot of fans, a lot of media who are, you know, say, 40 and over, uh, 40 and over. It's not real for the players. It's not real for the, the younger, younger fans out there. But I always wonder when Northwestern has a down season like this, is it more damaging because they're always trying to fight and get rid of that old feeling, the dark ages, the old perception about the program? There's there's certainly fans that get flashbacks. I mean, I we we heard that loud and clear in the you know in the tailgating parking lots, et cetera. Um, I think all of us, you know, being early aughts grads, um, somewhat insulated from that, right? Like I wasn't I, I wasn't really connected to Northwestern in the dark ages, but it does. You know, I, I heard some folks, even even younger fans, saying this year, like, or or. or trying to talk themselves off the ledge of the last four or five years being a mirage and this being like Northwestern returning to, to what's, what's real, really real about the Northwestern program. I don't know. I, you know, from my own perspective, I, it's funny you bring that up, Adam. And I, I don't know if you saw this, but I think, you know, all four of us were all at the, at Northwestern at roughly the same time. I mean, you were writing for the daily when Sam and I were working for WNUR. And I mean, it's all the same general time period. It's that just, you know, we were all applying to college or looking for college just post Rose Bowl, et cetera. And, um, right. So like we were adjacent to the dark times, but kind of just to the start. And it's funny that, that you bring that up because there was something. I was looking, it was either this week or last week, at an Inside NU headline that blew my mind. Um, and the title of the article was, Putting Northwestern's Disappointing 2019 Season into Historical Context, It Certainly Wasn't Great, But Was It the Worst? <laughs> and I, my reaction was like, and I actually had to check, and that was written by, I believe, a Northwestern freshman. And that is the reality check for all of us. Um, because I think it is, it's true that, you know, we're coming up on 20 years since, you know, we were at Northwestern and, um, or we're in that window. And I, I do think for the kids that are just showing up to, to go to Northwestern now, there isn't that connection to that time. And I think, probably a lot of them are so mad because they're used to or accustomed to um, a higher level of success. And, um, and you know, they, they're not seeing that. I mean, I think it's easy to forget how, you know, the, the, the longer we're 
adjacent to the program, the more points of reference we have. But I think for uh, the, a lot of the younger crowd, their points of reference are success. So they're freaking out. Sure. I think they're freaking out in part because – um, they feel like the, the bottom dropped out out of what they only know to be at least a moderately, moderately successful program. I don't know if you have that same kind of read or not on the national level. Yeah, you know, I, I, it was interesting. I, I think you're right about the younger uh, people around the program. But also, you know, I, I, I correspond with, with a lot of people uh, that have ties to Northwestern. And I, I some of them are um, you know, older folks who uh, were part of the Dark Ages or remember it much more vividly than, than we do. And their reaction to this season was in some ways even stronger than mine, because my feeling with Northwestern, and I know you guys have a great perspective on it because I listen to your, your podcast every week, is, you know, th- this program was never, uh, you know, three and nine proof. It was never two and ten proof because of, I think, especially the struggles on offense. So I always felt that one of these was coming. Now, you know, how bad it was and, and the offense and just the, 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 the general um, ineptitude of that unit and, and the feeling around the program, you, you kind of felt like they were beyond that. But I always felt, because the margins have always been so small, that they could go back to this. You know, that, that at some point a four and eight was coming, you know, especially because they had defied so many of the analytics for so long in recent years, winning all those close games, you know, never projecting you know, high in, in Bill Connolly's system or, or FPI or any of the other um, you know, metrics out there that I know, you know they don't care as much about, as, 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 you know, and, and rightfully so. But at some point, it was going to reverse. And I know you guys talked about this, I think, on the, the last podcast. So this team easily could have been five and seven, but it wouldn't have masked the problems that have been building for years on the offensive side. So for me, it was like, you know, obviously – you know, it's 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 a, a tough team to watch when they're not scoring. But I always felt that at some point, a four and eight, a three and nine, because this is not Ohio State. And that's where sort of the perspective of covering the nation comes in. You know, this is not uh, Alabama. This is not, uh, you know, a Georgia program. There, there, there's, this is a program that you know, has to win really close games and they're going to ha- have to have things fall right. And they have to have the quarterback position you know, line up in a way that, that, that allows them to avoid a drop-off. And, and this year it didn't happen. But I also don't think that they're going to stay down for five or six years. There's just too many positive things that have happened or that still are happening that, uh, that the program should bounce back to at least respectable level in 2020. I mean, you, you think back a couple of years when Michigan State had that just randomly really bad year, just kind of out of nowhere – very similar to what we see here uh, with Northwestern this year. And, you know, Michigan State bounced right back and, you know, they're just consistently in the, in the picture. I mean, obviously behind Ohio State, Michigan and Penn State in the East, but, you know, they're, they're competitive every year. And I, I, I think that the way that, you know, Fitz really kind of jumped on it and like really decisively, you know, McCall gone the day after. You know, make, making this change as, as quickly as possible, I, I think really shows that we're not just going to sit back and, and let it happen. We're not going to roll over and, and just expect more three and nines, two and tens, four and eights and st- something like that. Sure, sure. But, but, I, but again, I guess I would counter that by saying the only way this would have happened was them going three and nine. Oh, for sure. Or Absolutely. two and ten. Absolutely. And, 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 and again, and, and you guys outlined it, um, at a lot of programs, you know, even despite winning, they make changes. At Northwestern, they're not there yet. And that's not uh, fits the style as the head coach. Um, and he believes very much in continuity. And that's obviously served them well. But, you know, given the trend on offense, there's very few, you know, power five programs that are competitive that would have waited this long before making a change. You know, just in someone who follows the coaching carousel and coaching changes every year, I'm doing that literally as we speak right now with some coaching <laughs> searches and trying to get information. But, um, but, but th- there's no way that, 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 you know, a lot of programs go this long and wait for this type of season before making a change at offensive coordinator. It's interesting because I, I think sometimes we do forget, or at least I forget, that, that Fitz is still a relatively young coach. And, and and the profession is getting younger and younger every every week, really. Um, but you know, this is only the second coordinator he's gone through, right? Or well, I guess third, right? He, he he had to replace both OC and DC back in two thousand and eight. And I guess 
I, I kind of have a broader question that that dovetails with something we've been talking about a bit during the season, and that's, you know, obviously the quarterback development, the 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 room this year was a disaster. I, you know, Hunter Johnson came in with with pretty high expectations. You had injuries, of course, but it, like nobody seemed to be able to to perform at par. I think I think a lot of that stuff you do, you lay out the OC, you know, very obviously, especially because because McCall was quarterbacks coach. You had the the, the previous years of, of disappointment, but I I'm wondering. If there's is there anything that Fitz needs to adjust philosophically as well as as I think about the broader scope of what's happened at other schools and I, and I realize that I'm that the example I'm about to give is on a different level of expectations um, from Northwestern but I think about Les Miles and yeah. all, all the success he had at LSU he hired a lot of different OCs but never really let them modernize the offense like. I'm 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 wondering I'm I'm very curious to see how the next two two or three years play out and and if we see a different pers- a different approach from Fitzgerald who's you know he 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 exudes ball control and running and you know a bit more of an old school mentality but um seems to bring bring this a- approach of having to win a game by one score like he just he doesn't want to blow anybody out almost um like like does that do you see that as well, Adam? Does is that is that do we need Fitz to change as well beyond just the staff? Does his approach need to adjust? Yeah, that's a really good question, um, and I think one we'll have a better answer for you know, with this new coordinator in 2020. But absolutely, the game has become more uh, offense-driven, quarterback-centric, um, and 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 I think that example with LSU is a great one because that had been an underachieving program for a long time until they bought in to hey, we need to play offense this way. We need to hire uh, a young, dynamic, uh, offensive, at least passing game coordinator who today just won the Broyles Award as the nation's top assistant coach, and that's Joe Brady. And you see what the effect he's had you know, with Steve Ensminger and some of the coaches that had been held over from the staff uh, on the offense this year with Joe Burrow. I, mean, I, I got to see it for myself a couple weeks ago at the Texas A&M game, and it's incredible. You know, this is, I, I always said that it was criminal what LSU had did at the, had done at the quarterback position, you know, for years and years. Think about the receivers that had passed through that program and how they wasted them. And mm-hmm. now they're not wasting them anymore. And you're, you've seen what Alabama has done in their shift, uh, philosophically. You know, there's a lot of hand wringing right now at Georgia because there's a belief that Kirby Smart who doesn't want to win this way. He still wants to run the ball and win with defense. And, 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 and you know, again, Kirby Smart, mid-90s defensive player. Pat Fitzgerald, mid-90s defensive player. That's hard to break, if, if you, and especially when you've had success. Kirby Smart has had success. Pat Fitzgerald's had success recently. So, um, you know, I don't know if, if, if that's ever going to be something that um, is necessarily embraced or that you know, those types of coaches are comfortable with. But I would say the trend around college football is you have to score points. It's hard to win every game 21 to 17 or 17 to 14. You're going to have to win some games, you know, 38 to 35 or, or sometimes, you know, 51 to 31 if you're much better than that team. So um, that's, uh, that, that's uh, something that I think has to be, you know, considered here with not just the coordinator change, but how do you want to try to win games? How do you want to build your team? Because, you know, one thing that has been clear in talking to people around the Big Ten is that they have a lot of respect for the talent level that Northwestern compiles on defense and the way they play overall as a team. There's a lot less respect for the skill on the offensive side of the ball. Absolutely. It's it's funny talking about the LSU. The LSU point that, that you were just making and Scuzz was just making, I, watching, I think it was the last LSU game, um, I think it was the SEC championship game, Justin Jefferson was out there, and at some point the announcers were like, and of course Justin Jefferson, part of the family, you know, Jordan Jefferson, previous quarterback, and then it kind of trails off because it's like, yeah, you don't really have anywhere to go from that. Yes, Jordan Jefferson did indeed play quarterback for LSU, and that's probably about as far as you can go. Um, but the, you know, given what you were just saying and about right, this this respect gap, offense to defense, et cetera. Looking at Bajakian specifically, I, you know, we still obviously, I mean, we, we want, we're going to dive in the coming weeks deep into the film and really go through him as a play caller with a fine-tooth comb. But, you know, initial read on it is, you know, at least at, at BC, he, you know, had a lot of success, really improved their offense. 
but did it in a very – and I think this is what sort of Scuzz is getting at a little bit when he talks about this being like a Fitzian hire in a very like Fitz kind of way. Ground and pound, run first, pass second. Again, quarterbacks had success in this offense, but it was definitely like run first. And I don't know. Do you get a feeling at all that, that Fitz is out there and he's looking and he's saying, okay, I'm looking for the best coordinator I can get who fits with a specific identity that I want our offense to have? Without a doubt. And again, I think if you don't do that, you know, it's going to get very uncomfortable for you and for others around the program that have kind of, you know, bought into this identity. Um, You know, one thing I will say about LSU is that Ed Orgeron wanted to run this offense. He wanted to run more of a spread offense. It just took him a few years to get there. I I agree with you that, that, you know, Fitz is generally when he has a lead going to, to, to take care of a lead a certain way. And that's going to be running, running the ball and not trying to, to necessarily make that lead, you know, four or five touchdowns like some other coaches, you know, try to do philosophically. So, yeah, I, I think that that was certainly part of, 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 of searching for an offensive coordinator who certainly who could run the ball, who that, that was something that, that that person really believed in. And, and let's face it, that's where the strength of the offense is right now is at running back. And I think it's where it'll continue to be um, with Lewis Ianni as the running back coach. I think Lewis has a, a very bright, already has developed great running backs and will continue to do that. Um, you know, especially when he gets a few more recruiting classes under his belt here at Northwestern. So um, I, you know, I, I understand that part of it that, you know, you, you want whoever the, the play caller is to be someone who definitely embraces the run game, but also can develop a quarterback. And, you know, the more that I've looked at uh, Mike Bajakian's, um, you know, tenure, I, I, I think that there's, uh, you know, there's a bit of both there. Now, it hasn't been great everywhere, but I think he's had a pretty decent track record of quarterbacks. Uh, at, at the college level and also in the NFL, and but also a guy that embraces the run. And that's got to be, I think, very high on, on Fitz's priority list when he was looking for these, looking for these candidates. I think something that I'm, I'm probably most excited about and, um, and honestly that, that dovetails with not 2019, but, but 2018 and 17, like recent Northwestern success is, uh, something that Bajakian said in his, um, introductory press conference when he, when he got to BC. At least I think it was his introductory press conference. Essentially, we had a listener that, that posted an article over the over the weekend that was um, really informative. Essentially, what, what he said, you know, when he was at Tampa Bay in the NFL, and he was working with Lovey Smith, et cetera, but he got exposed to um, the much more you know multiple formations uh, that the NFL was was starting to run. And you think about tight ends, you think about what the Patriots have done, Gronkowski, et cetera, et cetera, um, using formations and flexible players to really put tension on defenses and um, not just mask what you're doing, but having, having players that can, that can play multiple roles out of the same formations and, and really confuse folks. And when he got to BC, he said, you know, I always, when I was in the NFL, I, I always said like, gosh, if I got back to college, I'd love to do this at the college level and see how it worked. And, you know, again, like John said, we haven't gotten into the film yet on BC. I, I, I from, from a couple things we've heard, it sounds like, he started to do that. There are a lot of multiple tight end sets, um, leveraging those players in both run blocking and pass blocking or, or, or uh, and, and pass receiving. And I think, you know, one of the, one of the huge deficiencies in Northwestern's offenses past year was the lack of a super back that was truly versatile yeah. in that way. And you think about Cam green or, or, um, or Dickerson before him. And that, that was a strength of the offense. And that, that was the other kind of real Fitzian component uh, that, I'm actually really excited about because I, I think that's something that Northwestern has leveraged in the past. I think we can recruit to that that type of role, and that to me is is one of those places that football is going of of being more multiple and being being able to operate out of one formation in several different ways. Yeah, that's going to be a, one of the the fascinating kind of subplots of of this new trend of this transition to monitor going forward. Because you're right, they got almost, almost nothing out of that position. And, you know, again, that had been, again, wide receiver had been a strong position in Northwestern not too long ago. You know, the super back or tight end had been, you know, a relatively strong position not that long ago. And so I think building back those positions, especially with, you know, I think more depth at running back in the future and then the offensive line, which, you know, as you guys highlighted recently, actually had a decent season under a new, a new position coach in Kurt Anderson. 
you know, that, that's where you can maybe get some optimism. But I mean, I, you know, you have to find players and develop players, um, at both, uh, receiver and tight end. I'm, I am curious. I haven't heard anything one way or the other. I am curious whether, you know, that, that, uh, that, 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 uh, is the only, uh, staff change that, or, or, or new coach that'll be joining the offensive staff. Is everybody going to be back? Could there be additional changes? Uh, coming, but you know th- those are two areas that need to step up, even if the position coaches are back. And you know, I, I think the, I- the hope for Northwestern is that the Jakin system will be able to you know b- uh, uh, bring more out of both the super back and the receiver spots, and you know use players in 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 different ways because that that was always you know when they had uh, who was it Drake Dunsmore, you always felt like you could use him in multiple ways. Dan Vitale used him in multiple ways. With a, with a certain coordinator. So if you have that type of player now, you know you have that type of coordinator. What, what, can, what can that do to affect and improve your offense? Yeah, I think we're along the same lines. I think we talked about it earlier or, you know, midseason along lines of like, look, we're not wedded to a specific scheme. I mean, I, I make jokes about, you know, us hiring Graham Harrell and running the <laughs> five wide. But I mean, I'm you know, that's just – Yeah, I'm just making jokes. Um, But I think one of the things that we talked about is, look, we're not wedded to a specific scheme, but we're looking for variation and we're looking for the defense. I mean, we have watched games with former Wildcat players who've been able to be like, okay, now we're running this. Okay, now we're about to do this. And and I think just like regardless of scheme, the idea that that the off, this is not something that a defense can get a beat on. Like, I don't care if we're under center, you know, I don't care if it's a, if it's a, if we have an eye back out there. It's that there's variation to it and the defense can't get a read on it. Um, and, you know, you, we're talking about super backs, et cetera. And, and yeah, I mean, obviously we, we didn't have that this year. I think we were bit by the injury bug. I think Trey Pugh was not even close to healthy until the end of the season. Um, but you got a guy like Kyrick McGowan who again, he was hurt late too, but that's an example of a guy that I really want to see us effectively utilize. That I feel like it's is an asset that needs to be um, you know you got you need to find a better place for that guy, a better way to get that guy involved. Um, and then of course, above everything, the whole mess with the quarterbacks. And again, it's it's hard to say. I, I guess I'd just be curious for your general thoughts on it. I mean, I. That, I mean, Bajakian is going to walk into a situation where, I mean, people are, are talking. I mean, I'm viewing these stories as like a sick joke that he's going to bring like a Boston College transfer quarterback with him. Not because I don't respect that player, but because I'm like, our situation could not be more unsettled right now. Uh, and to add another quarterback into it, I don't even know what you do there. What are your, what are your thoughts? I mean, these, we saw three quarterbacks this season. Um, what were your thoughts on them? Assuming they're all healthy. I mean, I don't know if you have a, thoughts on specific quarterbacks or just thoughts on what the approach you'd like to see Bajakian take here. I mean, again, I, I'm not asking for sage wisdom. We're just curious. I mean, it's so unsettled here. Yeah, it really is. And, uh, you know, again, I, I think it's, um, uh, there's all, I think there's, there's multiple reasons as to why it, it got this bad this quickly. You knew that Clayton Thorson was departing after the after the past season, after the 2018 season. And, you know, there, as you guys know, there wasn't a ton of resolution in the off season, but I think behind the scenes, clearly they felt that TJ Green was going to be the guy or, ha- or had better grasp of the system. And then, you know, he gets hurt in the first game and he's out for the year. And then and we don't know if he's going to be back next year or not. Um, Hunter Johnson has a lot to, to figure out um, because it was a tough, tough deal to watch. Um, you know, obviously a lot was going on with him on the field, off the field, but it was just brutal. Um, yeah. I just can't imagine, you know, the, that was kind of gone through his head. This is not what he envisioned coming in from Clemson, all the excitement um, for, for him to transfer into Northwestern and maybe be the guy after Clayton Thorson. So I don't know what you're going to get from him going forward. Um, I think there has to be a lot of growth there if he's going to really help this team because there wasn't much to get excited about this season. Uh, and then, you know, similar with the other quarterbacks, obviously Marty came on at the end and, and did a few things, but I, I really think they're back to square one. And I think all um, possibilities need to be open for them going forward because um, because of how bad it was this past year and you have a new play caller. And so you know, whether I, I, they need to be open to the transfer portal. They need to be open 
to, you know, guys maybe leaving the team. It's, it's, it's that bad of a situation because, uh, you know, of, of, like I said, several reasons how, how you got here. So it's just hard to know, not knowing what TJ Green's going to do, uh, if he's going to be back or not, not knowing, um, you know, Hunter Johnson's situation going forward. You know, I, I, I just, I, I think it would be a mistake to not at least be open to the portal because listen, a lot of teams have had great success bringing in transfers. It just seems like North. Yeah. I joke with Zach Kustak back before the Ohio state game. And I said, you were the only good quarterback transfer Northwestern's ever had. <laughs> I feel like they had such bad luck in transfers in general, football and basketball. And uh, obviously Zach coming in from Notre Dame. I remember writing about him when I was at the daily and obviously covered him back in 2000, 2001. And I, and I don't know, maybe I'm missing somebody, but they have not had great luck on the transfer front in general. Uh, especially a quarterback since since the days of Zach Kustak. Did did CJ Bechet transfer, or was was he just a decommit from from Oregon State? I can't remember. I, yeah, I think he. Dec- I don't think he played anywhere else. I think he was just a. Uh, yeah, was it Oregon State or or Washington State? Yeah, it goes back a ways. Yeah. I, so yeah. I'm I, I am curious about just just to like deep dive on Hunter a little bit because so I, we're we're a pretty um, I think it's fair to say we're a pretty player centric podcast. We are we are. We are much more likely to to lay blame at the at the at the feet of the coaches as opposed to calling out you know the, the these these guys that are in college um, that are you know uh, playing for without pay et cetera et cetera. Um, I, just how surprising was it on a national level that Hunter struggled as much as he did? I mean, I, I, and I guess you know Northwestern fans are looking at Jalen Hurts and Justin Fields, and I, that's certainly not a fair comparison necessarily. Adam, did you author the article on ESPN of the the ranking of the most to least successful transfer quarterbacks? I can't remember. <laughs> oh no, no, that wasn't me. Although I, I did author a, a big feature on Hunter back in the spring, um, <laughs> as did many others, and and I, I really enjoyed my time with him. I I, I thought he would be uh, you know ready for a great season, and you know I'm with you. I don't blame it all on him either. I mean, obviously, was going through a lot personally. Um, and, and, and also on the field. And so, you know, it, it just was one of those years where, where just nothing seemed to go right. And even when he came into games and, and you thought, okay, here's a chance for him to, to get some confidence and, and feel good about himself. It just didn't happen. And, and that does happen around college football at times, but yeah, the, the, the level of struggle, um, just not really being able to do much of anything. That was certainly a surprise because a lot of us thought, you know, the fact that, you know, again, he, he left Clemson because of Trevor Lawrence um, and that and otherwise he would still be there and maybe be, be contributing for them. Uh, OK, you know, Trevor Lawrence is maybe the, the, the best quarterback prospect we've seen in, in recent memory or, or one of the best. That makes sense to, to if you're not going to play there to, to transfer. Still a really good player, still a very highly rated recruit. And it just didn't happen for him this year. So, you know, certainly wish him the best, uh, you know, going forward, because you hate to see you know, somebody struggled that much with everything else that was going on in his life. It is interesting because at the beginning of, this, of the season, and, and I think, I think we all still ride pretty hard for Hunter um, and, and, and are really excited about the potential for him to work with somebody new next year. Um, somebody who also Ella Brockway, current uh, editor of, of, of the daily sports um, section right now, she, she pointed out earlier today on Twitter that uh, Bajakian was, involved in recruiting Hunter to Tennessee back in 2014 uh, when he ultimately committed to Tennessee and then, and then uh, decommitted and shifted gears to Clemson. So a um, little bit of spark of hope there, but I just like, I, I think the three of us have, have continually gone back to what we saw against Stanford and what we saw against UNLV and the flashes and the talent and, and the physical tools are all there. And, and he, he just needs some help pulling it all together and, and, and making reads, et cetera. So we, we ride really hard for that. And I think with, with the Bajakian stuff and, and what, what, what Ella tweeted earlier today has got me pretty fired up about the potential for Hunter next year. And, and, um, ho- you know, hopefully that comes together. But I, th- I think your point is well taken that that room is a mess. And, um, well, you know, we'll see what happens. There, there could be, there could be a totally different set of guys, uh, in that room come next season. Yeah. Yeah. No doubt. And again, um, you know, what I had heard, you know, again, around the program was that you know, there were just some basic things that couldn't be executed by the quarterbacks this year. You know, things that, 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 you know, even though they hadn't been playing in games should have been, you know, done. And, and I think that again, I, so again, I wasn't shocked. I was shocked that Fitz 
publicly called them out. But what I'd heard before that, you know, wasn't shocking because it, it was like basic things were not being done um, to, you know, to, 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 to make the offense at least functional. And so I don't know if that's all on Hunter or that's all on the coaching or it's a combination or if it's Aiden Smith. You know, I mean, the, the, you, you, you know, it's probably a mixture of everything. Yeah. But that, that cannot happen again. You know, and you guys know as well as anyone, you know, Northwestern's never going to be uh, talented enough to not prepare harder than, as hard or harder than the opponent. I mean, that's inexcusable. Um, so especially when the head coach who never calls out a group or an individual player for a lack of preparation is that blunt about it, um, that's got to be the, 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 the primary focus for, you know, for everybody in that room, including the new coordinator, to make sure that that doesn't happen again. Because, you know, if it does, then four and eight, three and nine, two and ten, that's all in play again. And then you really create some uh, pro- problems as far as backsliding from a, from a momentum standpoint. Yeah, that, that was definitely jarring to hear, um, especially because, you know, Fitz, like you say, Fitz never calls out individual players or rarely does. And, you know, for him to just call out the entire position group <clears throat> like that was just very, very odd. Um, I, I'd, I'd like to ask you a little bit, you know, as, as we kind of take a step back, you know, you know, bulls, the bull season is here. Uh, you did a wonderful ranking, a one to 41 of all <laughs> of the different bulls. Um, you know, what, what people should be excited about. Um, you know, I, I'm interested to hear your take. I mean, I, I think the, the top four teams are in the playoff. I, I don't think that there's much debate about that. Um, if you want to, you know, debate LSU or Ohio State should be number one. Okay, I, I'm I'm here to listen to that. But uh, as far as the top four goes, I, I think those four are pretty straightforward. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Um, it was a pretty easy decision as far as who made the playoff for the committee. Um, I think, you know, obviously the big debate was who was going to be number one between Ohio State and LSU. And wasn't shocked to see them flip it back to – LSU at one. I think they just wanted to see the LSU defense take a step forward. Um, and they did the last couple of weeks. Now they weren't facing elite offenses in Texas A&M and Georgia, but to, you know, to their credit, they dominated both of those games from a defensive standpoint. And I think with everything else that LSU had done resume wise and wins wise and, and just dominance for much of the season, it made it, uh, you know, it pushed them over the top as far as one. I mean, I, they, they flip flopped a lot. And I tend to think that you know, these committees, when they put Ohio State at one, they're not going to move them off the top line, you know, after, you know, two double digit wins over, you know, top, I guess, top 15 teams in Michigan and Wisconsin. But LSU, I think the totality of their profile, you know, gave them that, that, that nudge to one. And then, you know, Clemson sitting there at three is, is maybe the best team in the country. We just don't know yet because of the competition level. And then Oklahoma, you know, gets in. And I'm, I'm curious to see how, how Oklahoma fares against LSU. I, I'm not overly optimistic. I do appreciate the shout out for the bull prediction. You know, you guys know I, I, I try to be thorough and you know, use a lot of sourcing and, and, and put time into pieces. That is by far the most read thing that I write all season. It's put together in about four or five hours when, when <laughs> the are announced immediately. It, it is definitely not my best work. It's not my most thorough work, but it's definitely my most read work. So uh, have mercy and take pity as you uh, read that. As I, I, you know, I think I've only had one, one, one winning record overall, not even picking against the spread, one, one uh, a total winning record in predicting the bowls on the day that they're announced. So just I mean, to do- just to double down on that, I'm curious, which, which prediction are you least confident in or are you most worried about? I think what I heard the most, I mean, Oregon fans weren't happy with me for picking Wisconsin, but that was reasonable. That's the Rose Bowl. The thing is, I have learned. So, like, I picked against Appalachian State the last couple of years. Not happening again. Oh, yeah. Appalachian State's (laughs) in a roll. I I don't even, they're playing somebody in the New Orleans Bowl. Like, whoever they're playing in the New Orleans Bowl, it's going to be ugly for you. They're going to roll them. Um, And then, like, last year, uh, I, I think I picked Purdue over Auburn. Oh, you know, Purdue's a great story. And, you know, they're going down to play Auburn. Auburn doesn't really want to be there. And they all want to fire Gus Malzahn. I think it was like 64 to 14 Auburn. Yeah. So this year, you know, Minnesota's got Auburn. I, I really like Minnesota. They're, they're a fun team and, and, and they, they, they can throw the ball around and they have two great receivers and, and PJ Flex did an awesome job, but I'm going with Auburn. Like, you know, I think, I feel like I've learned a few lessons along the way to not just be a complete idiot and, and make an ass of myself with these predictions. 
I feel like the exact opposite would be true of us. We would like after all season, we would jump on the Minnesota bandwagon for one second and then watch Auburn just obliterate them. That would be so apropos of everything that everything relative to our experience with with Minnesota this year. I was going to say, hey, you shouldn't be too upset um, in a in a season where Illinois is going to a bowl. Let's not pretend that best work has any connection to overall success this season. I don't. Uh, every, everything's out the window. It's funny. Um, I have a question that in some ways kind of dovetails with just about everything we've been talking about so far. Um, it's funny. Um, re- in some ways, relative to everything in, in your work doing all these bowl previews, your work, like you said, I mean, you were at LSU, Texas A&M, for example, and, you know, you're putting together these playoffs. And, and then on the other end, I'm thinking of the, the whole conversation we just had with Hunter Johnson and you know, one of the sliding doors things that we talked about relative to Hunter is that he could have easily ended up at Purdue and that one of the clear signs he would have really gotten a shot to do something at Purdue is that Purdue finished the season um, starting Aiden O'Connell as their quarterback. And not only is Aiden O'Connell a walk-on, he's a walk-on from Stevenson. He's a Stevenson Patriot, um, North Suburbs, um, you know, Chicago Suburbs High School um, I actually like worked with his family, like relative to my job, um, and worked with his older brother who currently is a defensive lineman at Wheaton. Um, and you know, it's all of these things and the idea that this juxtaposition between like the knowledge of the local relative to football and the knowledge of the global, you are someone who is, you know, has had a better ride with that than just about anybody. I mean, you were writing, I mean, if we take Northwestern as the focal point, you're writing for the Daily Northwestern. Then you move to the Daily Herald, so your focus becomes regional, but Northwestern's still a part of that region. And then, correct me if I'm wrong, but when you started at ESPN, did you start with ESPN as like a with a Big Ten focus? Is that correct? Yeah, yeah. I was brought in um, basically in early 2008, but really for the 2008 season was when we started our blog network. And I you know, covered the Big Ten, was a Big Ten blogger, and ran that blog for a number of years and really focused on the league for – about five or six years before moving into more of a national role. But because of the, the first years and how intensely we blogged and how much we wrote about the Big Ten only, you know, people still sort of affiliate me mostly with that conference. And it makes sense because of where we live. And um, and obviously, I, I know more people in the Big Ten than probably any other league. But uh, that was sort of how it went. It was Big Ten focused for about five or six years. And then, you know, now, God, I'm in year uh, 11 uh, or 12, again, lost count with, uh, with I think it's year 11 with, with the SPN in, in more of a national role for basically the second half of my time. So, so given all that, I mean, you have this constantly zooming out focus, right? I mean, Northwestern, then Chicago suburbs, still involving Northwestern, then Big Ten, then national. How is your, I mean, we sort of talked a little bit about it earlier, but how have, how is this if if Northwestern is kind of your starting point as okay this is a college program this is how a college program is run this is expectations and everything how has that affected have there been moments along the way where you've been where something happens or you have some experience relative to another Big Ten school or or a national program and you know and at the time you were like oh wow this is so different from the experience that I have had up to this point were there any particular moments like that where you were like oh wow you know, the Northwestern either is or is not, you know, in line with the, the college football world as a whole. Yeah, I, I don't I mean, just from covering the Big Ten, even in school or, you know, I, I covered some Notre Dame um, early in my career, uh, you know, at the Daily Herald. Um, you, know, you, you know, you knew it was different. And that, 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 that you know, that, that became very clear to me early on. But even now, you know, just just covering some of these programs. Uh, you're covering Ohio State more intensively or you're spending some time you're down in Alabama or you're just talking to coaches around the country and how their programs are run. You know, it is different. And there's some things that are you know, certainly you know, things that I think Northwestern fans take pride in that are different and probably some things that they wish uh, that they had that other programs, uh, you know, you do have that, that, that they, they invest more in. But, you know, I think the, the gap has narrowed significantly. Um, it's kind of amazing, you know, to think about you know, Northwestern's ability to win at a, a relatively competitive level, you know, given the facilities that they had for so long, because that's the thing that's jumped out, um, you know, in terms of doing the job nationally, but even in the Big Ten, is just the resource advantages that certain schools have and the investments that they put in to their football operations. 
you know, from a staffing, from a facilities, the entire infrastructure, it was just so much greater than what Northwestern was doing. I'll, I'll say, I'll give you another example. Wisconsin was dealing with really bad facilities, really bad facilities for a long time. And their facilities are nicer now, but they still don't have like a regular outdoor practice field other than the stadium. That so was part. That was one dealing, of B, that was one of Bielema's big gripes, right? I feel like when he when he left. Well, was, it was more the the staff pay, the fact that he was losing a lot of top assistants to you know other programs because Wisconsin wasn't as willing to, to you know to pay a million dollars for a coordinator, even at the time, you know, seven hundred fifty thousand, eight hundred thousand for a coordinator. So he'd lost you know a lot of you know guys that he was hoping to keep on the staff because they could get more money elsewhere. But yeah, just the overall. I mean, what, what Wisconsin did. Um, under Barry Alvarez and then for the start of Brett's tenure was really amazing when you looked at what they were dealing with from a facility and even from a financial standpoint versus some of the teams that they were competing with. And, and Northwestern's maybe the one of the better examples of that because their facilities were, in my view, the absolute worst in the Big Ten and, and got to be in the bottom three or five in the Power Five, if not the absolute worst. And then, as you guys know, that changed dramatically a couple of years ago. Um, which, you know, I think made this season a little bit shocking. But I, again, to my earlier point, I don't think it can go backward for very long because of the investments that have been made. Um, and and that, that, that's why those investments in some ways are, are not even in some ways, in many ways, are much more important than one bad season for them. Now, they have to pick it up and they have to make some changes like we've discussed. But, you know, their their floor as a program is so much higher now than I think it was even a few years ago because of the facilities investments that they made. Uh, speaking of facilities, um, you know, you, you mentioned you, you, know, you were down at LSU for the LSU A&M game. I'm interested kind of what your sense is. And, you know, for majority of our listeners being in the Chicagoland area, is there somewhere that you like a bucket list game that you think that people should make an effort to go to? Like, um, I know I, I personally, and dying to go to a game at LSU and just kind of wondering what, if, if there's any kind of bucket list place that you, that you would recommend people go check out. Yeah. I mean, just because I was just there, like go to LSU, it's unbelievable. Um, you know, the game that I saw wasn't very competitive, but everything else was, was unreal. And I mean, part of it was senior day and Joe Burrow, but um, I, I was able to uh, – your media can get with inside the gates for the Tiger Walk. Um, and yeah, I was with Ross Dellinger, who's a friend from Sports Illustrated, who covered LSU for many years for the local paper there. So he kind of knew every all the local stuff of where, of where to go and, and stand and check out. And uh, he, even he said that the crowd – for the tiger walk when they approached the stadium was, you know, was bigger than, than he could remember. And I, yeah, I was standing right there when Ed Orgeron comes out and the place is going nuts and, and they're walking to the stadium. You know, I actually, uh, I saw Dave Aranda who I've covered for many years and, and I got to know very well, uh, that a defensive coordinator who had been at Wisconsin, you know, we shook hands and I said, you know, Dave, you're not at Wisconsin anymore. And he kind of laughed and it, it's just different, you know, and Wisconsin's got great tradition too. I'm not trying to rag on them, but it is, uh, an incredible experience if you're a college football fan to go to a place like LSU, especially when the game's at night and experience the tailgating and the tiger walk and the city. And then obviously the stadium and everything that go, it, it's an awesome show that they put on. So um, yeah, I, I, uh, I would definitely recommend LSU. Um, I would recommend uh, Auburn. Uh, now I haven't been to that many, um, you know, of, of the, uh, of the great stadiums, you know, in, in some parts of the country, especially, in the in the Big 12 and in the SEC, but I've been to Auburn, I've been to Texas A&M. I would put that one up there. I haven't been to Florida or Florida State for a game, or even Alabama. But I would say all three of those would be really good. You know, one game that I would also recommend that I got to do for the first time this year, and it's not on a college campus, but it's a really unique environment, is the Texas Oklahoma game at the Texas State Fair, the Cotton Bowl. Really cool because, as you guys know, especially being Northwestern fans. You go to a bowl game and it's not really a neutral site for many, many cases. One fan base is, is way more representative than the other. The Texas OU game is split 50-50. It really is. I mean, in the stadium and you can feel the energy and then obviously having the fair outside, you walk out of the stadium right into the fair. It's one of the, the most unique environments and, and, and very easy to do. There's a million flights to Dallas. You, you know, it's an early game. You could even fly back 
uh, you know, that afternoon or that night. So I, I would recommend that one too. Um, if you haven't, if you haven't been to Texas OU. It's funny you mentioned that one. Cause I, so I lived in Dallas for about five years and, um, and, and, and like very close to the city. I lived in uptown. So, I mean, we, we could effectively take, you know, a, a, a 10 minute cab to get to, um, to get to the fair. We never actually went to the game, but, um, it's worth mentioning that the Texas state fair itself is an, an experience unlike any other. I mean, I grew up in Minnesota where we had a state fair and we, everybody goes every year. It's, it's a different, it's a different magnitude in Texas. It really is. Um, and to have that game and just like every single bar, like the atmosphere you just described, described in the stadium, every single bar in the city that's, that's in, in proximity to the stadium has the, the exact same thing going on. It is um, decked out. It's party central and there's a, a split crowd as well. So yeah, that's a, that's a great call out a really fun experience. Scuzz better environment, Texas, Oklahoma at the Texas state fair or SMU in an ice storm, which is, <laughs> which is the better. Scuzz, Scuzz, Scuzz was at, Scuzz was at an SMU game where he may or may not have been, one of the only 50 people at the they, game. They, they put a video of a, of a bonfire up on the, on the jumbotron. It was great. I will, I will say for like an accessible, um, like fun local stadium. I mean, S, SMU's got a, an amazing tailgate scene. The problem is that none of the tailgaters actually go into the stadium. Um, no, I, they don't. I've, yeah. I've, I've been to games there. You're absolutely right. It's, it's disappointing because it's a cool stadium. And although now, I mean, shoot, they were, they win 10 games this year. Mm-hmm. I would, uh, I would, uh, I, I would, I would hope that they, you know, Sonny Dykes has done a nice job there, and, and they got a fun offense, and yeah, I would hope that, that they're getting a little bit more love from the uh, from the fans actually in the stadium. They've got a fan base. They just they just need to go to the game. Um, on on the other side of the coin is TCU, which I think is, for my money, is one of the best experiences I've ever been to. Just like tight, um, packed stadium. It's 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 small. It's intimate, um, and that that fan base is absolutely there, and 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 super dialed in so uh can't can't get much better than dfw for for college football so yeah you can get a lot there because you get the the obviously the campus stuff but then you also get a lot of the neutral site games like at the at&t stadium or or the cotton bowl so yeah it's a a really good spot to uh to be if you're a college football fan so judging sort of juxtaposing with the idea of, of fan support and a problem that that we're all very familiar with, which is getting fans into the stands and getting fans to come out to the game. And, uh, you know, I think we were, we were just, you know, arrived at the, the very end of the back when the, you know, the frats were allowed to tailgate, um, at Ryan field back when it was Dyke stadium. Um, and even then that was still an issue is like getting the fan, getting the students to come in. And now, you know, we're, we, we said, Sam and I sit at, what 35 40 yard line home side extended and watch the student section every game and watch as it slowly dwindles as the game goes on and then you know you're tracking retention etc um but with that with all that said i mean the thing that you definitely have in common with all of us is that you're a diehard northwestern fan someone who i mean you were going to be in the press box <laughs> you got to be careful there you got to be careful but oh, no, but, uh, well, well no you hide well, it this, really well adam well this is and this is what's funny because I, I actually have in our notes here we're talking about it that i i'm referring to this as the no cheering in the press box question um because um you know, you're a Northwestern alum. You wrote for the Daily, et cetera. Um, you were present for some great Northwestern football moments, whether in a reportorial capacity or just as a fan capacity. And I'm curious how, you know, if, if, if as you think back to your favorite moments of Northwestern football that you were present for, how those stack up to the best moments that you've been present for, you know, while you were working for ESPN. Um, you know, if, I guess I searching for, you know, a great Northwestern memory versus a, a great non-Northwestern memory and how you juxtapose the two. Wow. Yeah. I mean, it's easier for me to recall the Northwestern ones, especially when I was in school, you know, I covered the 2000 team and, you know, there were three unbelievable games uh, that year that I was fortunate enough to, to cover all three of them, you know, that, you know, certainly rank up there with the, the best games that I've, or the, at least the best finishes that I've, uh, I've been a part of with Wisconsin, which was the shocker on the road 
um, when they won in overtime. I was right on the field when, you know, Damian Anderson ran it in for the win. And then, you know, remember being up in Minneapolis for the, uh, was it Kunle Patrick, uh, tip to, uh, oh, yeah. to Sam Simmons for the, for the win on the, the victory right play with Zach Kustak. And then, yeah, obviously the Michigan game, which was, you know, that, that will still be, I think, uh, hope to do this for a long time, but I think it'll be hard to find 10 games that, will be more dramatic or, or more incredible with, with more twists and, and things than the, uh, than the Northwestern Michigan game in 2000. So it's, um, yeah, I mean, I've had some great, um, uh, you know, games that I've been a part of, you know, my career at ESPN, but, you know, those ones are certainly easier to sort of reference, um, because I, I, you know, I was in school and writing for the school paper, you know, and I, 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 I do remember my first year, I think it was my first year at ESPN. I was at the Minnesota game. The Northwestern won in Minneapolis, uh, which was, you know, not, not exactly like that, but essentially won on a, uh, a walk-off interception by Brendan Smith. So um, I have had, I've had been part of two uh, exciting Northwestern wins in the Metrodome against the Gophers, one as a student reporter and then early in my ESPN career. Scott, you were in the Metrodome for that one, right? Uh, for the first one, yeah. I, I think that fourth quarter is the greatest 15 minutes of my life probably. <laughs> <laughs> I, 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 excluding anything involving my children, but, um, yeah, some, some good times in Minneapolis. Um, not, not, not so much recently. Uh, although, well, I guess, I guess the last time we were up there, right. Was the, the shirtless, the shirtless warm up, um, including, including a shirtless Mick McCall out on the field, uh, before the game and, and the, the cats really embraced the cold and, and ended up uh, with a nice little win. So. Yeah. Yes. No, that was, uh, that was, it actually was interesting. I think at that, from that point on, that, uh, that was the last game Minnesota lost until they lost to Iowa this year. Right. Cause they, cause they, they won their last two. Um, and then they uh, started 10 and 0 this year. So it was a nine and 0 or 10 and 0 before they lost, yeah, 10 and 0 before they lost to, um, Iowa or nine and 0. Uh, so that, I think they had an 11 game win streak or 12 game win streak after, after falling to the cats last year. That is, that is wild. Um, we're giving, we're, yeah, we're a good luck charm. You can go back to to Auburn, lost us, or Auburn beat us, then got Cam Newton, didn't lose the rest of the right. way, <laughs> you, you, and you could fold Utah into Utah, that this season yep. as well. Yeah, until they met up with Oregon. Yeah, that was rough. Oh well, Adam, I really appreciate you coming on uh, with us tonight. Um, definitely appreciate your insight on uh, you know Northwestern on college football as a whole. Um, love reading your stuff over at ESPN.com. Um, definitely appreciate it. And, uh, yeah, th- again, thank you so much. Yeah, guys, we'll keep up the great work and, uh, I'll definitely be listening and thanks for having me on. I really enjoyed it. And, and we're definitely going to hold you to every one of those 41 bull picks. No margin <laughs> you won't for be error. the only ones. Yeah. That, that, those, will be, those will be brought up. This will be brought up, I'm sure. I, I did pick against the Cats last year, and I even had a very unfortunate tweet midway through the game when it looked like uh, Utah was going to run away with it that I think Fitz and others uh, uh, brought up <laughs> later, and I, I deserved any, every criticism for it. If, if, if the worst that I get is being criticized for, uh, for bad bowl predictions, <laughs> whether they're before the game or in the game, I can live with that. Well, once again, that's Adam Rittenberg, uh, senior writer from ESPN. Uh, thank you so much for coming on. I mean, that was just, that was amazing. Um, you know, really, if, really if appreciate you're it. Not, if you're not following Adam and you're a college football fan, I, I don't know what you're doing. You're I, doing I, it I wrong. I tell you. Yeah, especially with his Northwestern connections, right? Like, um, so, so support the dude. Uh, check, out, check out his work. But um, just great perspective. And, um, yeah, it was a lot of fun. I, you know. We didn't really touch on bowls. We can get to that next week. I think obviously the Bajekian stuff was the most important stuff for us to, to suss out a little bit now. Well, speaking of bowls, um, you know, we do have our West Slot Pirate Bowl uh, challenge up on ESPN. We'll be tweeting out uh, the, the details on that. That'll be up on our website, westslotpirates.com. If you want to uh, you know, follow Adam's suggestions, uh, head over to ESPN.com. His, all of his picks, uh, spur of the moment picks, are up there. Uh, feel free to submit an entry on his behalf. Um, but uh, yeah, head head over. We have we have a lot of fun with it. It's a confidence pool. Um, you mentioned that a little bit last week, but uh, yeah, uh, like I say, all the information will be up on our website, um, or on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, all that jazz. And and as an aside, if you think we're done talking about Mike Bajekian, we are not. No, nope. we, not even remotely. We will be. This is this is just the intro. Uh, we plan on doing some some deep dive, looking at some film, um, 
Uh, unless unless something crazy happens in the next five or six days, yeah. knock on wood. Right, knock on wood. Um, we really plan on on looking into some things, and and you know, we we have some ideas. We can look at some stats, but now we want to kind of put some tape on it and and get some ideas of how his offense operates and what it can mean for Northwestern. So that is all coming down the pipe. And also next week we'll we will be getting our bowl previews because bowls start next Friday, which is absolutely insane. Um, you know, it's crazy that we're already a third of the way through December. Bowls start up in just ten days. So, and, and speaking of ten, as Scuzz alluded to last year, these will be our tenth bowl previews that we'll be starting, which is pretty amazing—a yeah. full decade. So cool. Um, so yeah, uh, check back with us again next week. Obviously, um, follow us on uh, Twitter, Facebook, in- Instagram, uh, westlawpirates.com. All of our all of our stuffs there. Leave us a rating on on iTunes or Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your pods. Uh, five star ratings go a really really long way to spreading the word about our podcast. Uh, we definitely appreciate um, all the all the five star ratings, all the reviews. Those are really really wonderful. So keep them coming. And we'll go ahead and leave it there for this week. Um, once again, head to our website, westlawpirates.com. Find us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, at westlawpirates. You can always email the show, westlawpirates at gmail.com. Tune in next time as we give our visceral and statistical views on Northwestern athletics. And look for us in the West Lawn of Ryan Field flying the red pirate flag because we give no quarter, especially the fourth. For John Lacombe and Eric Scasbo, I'm Sam Walter. Thanks so much for listening. We'll see you next time.